0: You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for the Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you, and I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of The Broken Meeple. This is, what, episode 49 now, coming at you from a thundery, rainy day in the UK. Hopefully we won't get any of that noise in the background. But yeah, we're getting into the summer, and well, as close to summer as it might as well be with climate change, and I'm already starting to feel the effects. It's getting hotter, the house is becoming more a bit like an oven, uh, the spiders decide that they want to set up camp around my house. That always seems to happen in the summer. I had to like, get rid of this, like, webbing thing the other day, and they found a way inside the house at one point, but they were outside the door, and it was, like, this small area of webbing which had a ton of these little tiny golden spiders in it. I don't know what they're called. It's just basically, like, little miniature ones, and it's not that it freaks me out as much as seeing a big spider because I'm arachnophobic, but I'm sorry, seeing something like that is gross and horrible for someone like me to witness. So I had to basically... Tool myself up like a ghostbuster with my vacuum cleaner and you know a spray that i made out of cleaning fluid water and vinegar because apparently it's apparently so that white vinegar is uh, kind of a repellent for them so it's like, all right fine and basically go around on a massive spray so half the house stinks of vinegar and also like hoover a bunch of them up but it's time out of my day and it's basically like oh great it's now summer i get to live in a horror story for the rest of the season I hate summer. I hate summer. When's it going to be autumn? Autumn and winter for the win for me. I like the cooler climates. Generally though, things have been pretty good on the channel. Things are relatively steady at the moment. I'd I like it to grow a little bit more, but you know, I've only put out so much content lately and they've been... Mostly express reviews, although very nice to see the top 10 worker placement games doing well, 15,000 views. Although I'd still like it to be higher, really. I mean, especially for a very common topic like that. But saying that, you know, uh, it's two weeks old, it's still doing well. And as I say, I'm more interested in the fact that it's got nearly 200 comments on it and 600 plus likes. And yes, 14 people who just want to see the world burn, but. Yeah, I'm just glad to see that that one's doing well. The reviews since have been fine. I've done a review on uh, Get On Board, which is actually a flipping right game I can actually put my stock behind. But less than a thousand views for something that's made by Sashi. Um, the Caesar Express review, which was more of a negative review. Well, not negative, it was more just dull. I just didn't have anything to really say about it. It just kind of bored me. But that one's surprisingly doing a lot better than most of my Express reviews, which is kind of saying something, really. And then, of course, the, I wouldn't say controversial one, but the one which was certainly going against the buzz, my review of, the detailed review of Wonderland's War, which is doing well but i don't know detailed reviews take a long time to record and edit they require a lot of effort you don't just switch on the camera and talk with those ones like a lot of like a lot of them are so the amount of effort that goes into them i would need them to get higher than just a couple of thousand views but as i say you know, if views are in the thousands, I'm happy for the most part, you know, I mean, I'm very happy if I get that with an express review, but for a detail review, it needs to be higher to justify the effort. It makes me wonder if the detail format is working, but it, it depends on the review. If I scroll back down to a few of the um, ones I did earlier in a year, for example, uh, detail review of now or never, you know, that's over 5,000. Yes, that's taken since January, but at least it's doing alright. And then Arc Nova, which I think is on the other page, uh, how well is Arc Nova doing? Arc Nova back in December late December twelve thousand and yes that's since mid december so that's not saying much, but still it's a good i mean that's it's really good, you know that's something I'm really happy to see, but yeah I'd need I need to understand what the best to do with reviews and certainly one idea i've had and i'd like to know your comments on this actually see if you agree with me chaps but the concept of live reviews i've touched upon this in the past thinking like oh should i shouldn't i i don't know if this would be worth it but i want to distinguish myself from other creators because otherwise as i say there's creators are a dime a dozen now and if you don't find a way to create a unique selling point you will just fade into the background So, I was contemplating, well, I do the detail reviews... And that works for top 10s as well. And certainly top 10s are not going to change. I want top 10s to remain as that detail format. You know, the the really good posh format. As well as doing the collaborations. Which I know I've not done any collaborations lately. April was just really busy. But I'm in talks with Ninja Geek Games. Mark Monk. I'm in talks with Solo Playthroughs. I'm in talks with uh, Jonah from One Pit Wonder again. To do some collaborations. They're just quite busy. I might not be able to get hold of them until mid-June. So... If there is a small creator out there who fancies being on the show and fancy, you know, wants to do something for May time, then by all means get in touch. You know, we, we could do a quick top ten. Failing than that, I'm just going to have to do some live solo top tens uh, to get some uh, live stream uh, content in the works. But, you know, get in the chat, alright? But I wanted to idea that the concept of live reviews because express reviews are just basically the equivalent of switch on the camera and talk for the most part although i still put editing stuff i still put the movie clips in and that's never going to change you know the movie clips are always a fun distinguishing part of the channel and it's just fun to illustrate the point with a bit of comedy but you know and if i can't write the best comedy in the world then it's good that the comedy exists elsewhere but with those again express reviews still take time to record and edit The detail reviews, as I mentioned, take a long time to record and edit. And I've got a lot of games that I'm going to talk about soon in the next segment where I've acquired a ton that I need to get done. So I wanted to understand the concept of a live review. We keep it at, say, 15 minutes max. You know, these are 15 to 20 minutes absolute tops. i say if I can keep it a quarter of an hour, maybe. So I would basically say, right, at this time I'm going to talk live about a game for review purposes. StreamYard format. Using slides rather than Board Game Geek, unless I need to find statistics, but mainly using slides so that the photos are already pre-picked in advance, meaning that I don't have to constantly keep going through BGG hoping that there's a half decent photo to illustrate my point. But doing it live means that it's already edited on the system because StreamYard effectively gives me the video file, and I and and it's already uploaded to YouTube. So yes it won't have movie clips in it which is a bit of a downer but it would literally be a way for me to review a game, have it noticed because if it's in the podcast episode it's hidden away and people don't tend to see it's there but it gets out in the public domain and it allows me to go through a lot more games because you can you imagine it takes me a good hour to record a detailed review you know at least an, at least about an hour because bearing in mind that's you know as much as i add lib everything i still have to take breaks and cut and you know, like ah oh, this segment isn't going anywhere re record you know there are certain times i have to do that so that's an hour okay and then the editing time could take anywhere between 3 to 4 hours to edit a detailed review so you're talking 5 5 hours of time uh, and the upload as well so you're talking 5 hours worth of time to do a detailed review from start to finish it's hard to find that length of time really especially with like a day job and all the other reviews and content I got to do in a social life. So the idea of being able to do something for 15 minutes and the format would basically be that I get on, and say hi to people, but mainly I just get on and talk, rather than interact with the chat. I get on, I talk about the review, and I do it kind of like as an express review style. I'll have already pre- like bullet-pointed the points I'm going to make in advance. I talk live, I talk and give my review of the game, but then what it allows me to do, because it's live, anybody who is watching, and I don't expect hundreds of people to be watching my 15-minute live review, I mean, that's not the idea of it, but it's more that if anybody is watching, they can ask questions about the game that I haven't covered in the review, and I can discuss that with them. So I could mention stuff on the aesthetics of a game and talk about some components and artwork, but then somebody might ask, all right, well what's the insert like? And then I can tell them there, live, what it's like. So you're not just getting my thoughts on a game, you're also answering any questions I haven't covered. Because the danger of any review that anybody does is that you miss out critical points, and sometimes you do so you know there are some times where i've looked at a review and i've gone oh yeah i really should have mentioned that but mm, it's a bit late now and you can't just you you can't just record another segment and just insert it into the fact after it's done so a live review would help with that so i'm contemplating the idea it would be unique as far as i'm aware nobody else has done this Uh, i mean maybe some other channel out there has done the concept of a live review but dice tower don't do live reviews they watch oh, it uh, no, no no no, tell a lie. The the four squares one. Are there four squares ones live? I'm not sure, but it doesn't really show that it's live and they don't interact with the chat much on those. I I don't know if those ones are live, but I'm not aware that a lot of other channels do a live review where they interact with the chat. So let me know your thoughts on that. If it sounds good, then I might do a few testers with a couple of Kienda projects that I've got. But yeah, we'll go into more detail on that later. Uh, the, other, the other thing I want to touch up on is just, it's a minor rant, but this kind of irritated me the other day. Now, with, I reviewed a game, well I didn't review, sorry, this isn't a review, i actually, I'll get onto this a bit later, because I'm going to talk about my experiences of playing the game, so why don't we, you know, worry about that later, and move on to a next segment, okay? So, what I've acquired different than what i've played you know we'll get on to that in a minute but i just wanted to talk briefly about a lot of stuff that's turned up on my doorstep because You know, deliveries are a bit like buses, really. Yeah, wait around for ages, none turn up, and then suddenly they all turn up at once. Well, that's kind of what's happened with a lot of deliveries I've had lately, both from review copies, both from things I've bought, and things from Kickstarter. Everything is just turning up. In fact, most of yesterday, it was meant to be a chill day, and I spent most of it just unboxing things and testing out a couple of solo modes. So, yeah, you know, there's only so much rest I get, really, (laughs) doing what I do, but as I say, still good fun. But I wanted to touch up on some of those ones that I have found and just, uh, um, like, talk a little bit about that so the first one i'm going to talk about is and this is brief i'm just going to say what i've acquired so carnival zombie second edition i backed this ages ago like two years ago i backed this i think and it's taken forever to make and i must admit my anticipation for the game has died a little bit in that time you know you there is such a thing as something taking too long to get released but now i have it i have the deluxe version and i'm a little concerned that it could be a bit of a regret. I don't know. I mean, it, it looks cool, and the concept sounds cool. You know, tower, def- you know, a tower defense zombie game with uh, the cool artwork, and you know, minis and that, and lots of different scenarios. The weird dexterity element. You know, it sounds like something I would enjoy, but this is going to be quite a game to get into rules wise. I'm going to need to find a specific group who wants to play this. Uh, the rule book looks okay, but a little bit disjointed. So I'm not certain how easy this is going to be to learn and i'm just a little bit concerned that i might have issues with it but as i say i paid the money it's arrived i'm definitely going to give it a try but yeah the hype has died a little bit i mean it's not exactly ranked uh, well saying that this is seventeen thousand on board game gate this is the second edition it re-implements the first one which you could never find but then that one only got to rank 2700 and this was something that got a tom vassal seal of excellence on the game so here's hoping I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping it's good because this sounds like something I should really like, but I hope it's not too much of a hassle to get to grips with. Uh, Sticking with Kickstarter games, there was also Sniper Elite, the board game. Now, I have no knowledge of the Sniper Elite video games. I've not played any of them, okay? I just know that you can do some really cool bullet time sniper shots in it, which always looks cool. But... This one I grabbed on a uh, late pledge. So I've gambled on this one. I saw a Dice Tower playthrough and it looked pretty interesting. You know, Having a one versus all again of the sniper trying to infiltrate these areas. And with very cool looking maps that are detailed. Different objectives. It all sounded pretty interesting. But what got my attention more was the fact that this was meant to be played in a shorter time compared to a lot of hidden movement games. Things like Theory of Dracula and Letters from Whitechapel and even my current favourite Spectre Ops are quite long. They take a long time to do and they're not short games by any means. So the idea that this one could be played in a a shorter time frame and be soloable as well with a David Turksy solo mode in it is like okay you know i mean he does overcomplicate some of the solo modes in it but i thought how complicated can you make a solo mode in this and from what i've read of the rulebook doesn't look that hard actually so i'm keen to give this one a try both multiplayer and solo and hopefully it turns out to be a hit you know this was a it's a gamble and i'm hoping it pays off because this could be a replacement for specter ops if it turns out to be a lot shorter because what does it say 40 to 70 minutes yeah you tried playing a game of specter ops in three quarters run out. Right that ain't happening a bit of cam multi yeah so yeah gambling got the deluxe version they needed to spend more than five minutes thinking about how it would store in the main box because it doesn't store in the main box with the insert and it's got some of the most wasteful packaging i've ever seen i mean this is literally the box you get for the sniper elite deluxe upgrades okay it is literally a plain box with nothing in it and People like One Pit Wonder would have a field day with this. Because this is already a fairly glossy box with, you know, that's taking time to do. This is what is in the box, okay? I've taken all the pieces out. But basically, you had nine spaces for some minis. A little tray for some uh, poker chip style things that you pull out the bag. And a small tray down there for a bag or something. I think it was, was it a bag or a couple of cards. I can't remember. That's literally it. This whole box had barely what like it had less components in this than splendor the game and it came in a huge box and another one there's another box with it as well and all of it i can fit in the base box if i take out the original insert of the base box if they just made the box a little bit fatter they could have made it so much easier to store this game but no they just don't think about these things publishers really it just seemed like really wasteful packaging but as i say that's a side thing All right, uh, next one that's arrived Kickstarter-wise, Architects Works of Wonder. Yes, I love Architects of the West Kingdom. Number three on my top 10 worker placement games recently. Works of Wonder could elevate it to number one. I'm not joking here. The Works of Wonder expansion sounds like it adds a really cool new element with the influence track, the two characters going around the map, the wonders that everybody contributes to, but only one person's building each wonder. and There's a lot of cool stuff that this adds without, by the sound of it, making it too complex add more apprentices add more buildings add more stuff to do possibly even rebalancing a couple of things because now the black market has another way it can reset and there's you know some more characters that you can have but then there's also ways to use influence to negate the cost of silver or virtue which could be really cool uh there's just a a lot of good things, I think, going for this works of wonder. So I'm very excited to get this to the table, especially with a new solo mode. A solo mode that is essentially going to be like more akin to something like uh, the Viscounts of the West Kingdom one. So you have these AI boards. And I know this looks complicated as all get out the iconography, but I'm telling you this... Everything that you see on the bottom half here, I think, bar maybe these blue bits here, um, that guard house action priority and that, this is the same on all of them. So this is more a reference aid than anything else. What changes, though, I think, is these blue point scoring things down here, as well as this contribution victory point thing that it's a focus, and this card, like the apprentice it has. Or what character it is. I think that's the only difference between them. But it could change up the game quite a bit. But yeah, the Viscounts of the West Kingdom solo is such a good solo mode. It's easy to implement. Once you get used to the iconography, it's easy to implement and easy to run. That's how an AI should be. If they've done the same thing for Architects, this could. That combined with what's in the box already could elevate this to my number one worker placement game. The fact that normally I play this when I have lots of players. But if I can play it solo like this... Oh, I am so hopeful. The big box, on the other hand, was a bit more of a letdown, because uh, that, that one had the problem of... Oh, yes, yeah, so I've got the playmat as well, so this, like, side extra board or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, as far as I'm aware from the expansion, you basically you also have this princess and a profiteer running around, and depending on whether you go to visit their location or capture people from their locations, they can have positive or negative effects. You know, again, more interaction, more choices, this is all good, but... Playmat, can't wait for that. Playmat looks gorgeous, but it's coming in as a separate order. I really want to get the playmat before I get stuck into this game because I'm a, you know, because I'm a bit of a a vain person like that. But the problem I had with this was the big box that it came with. Uh, You could get a big box here to store in the game. Sorry, to store the game in now. But much like the big box that they did for Raiders in the North Sea, they mainly just gave you a box that was bigger and didn't really think long and hard about the insert itself. Because you can get everything into those inserts fine, but nothing separates in the insert, so you can't do a speedy setup with it. And you also cannot get your fingers in some of those cubby holes to get all your meeples out. I mean, you're expected to get 20 meeples and all your little bits and bobs out of these tiny little trays... Everybody at the start of the game? No, it's not going to happen. That's a faff and a half. So people say, "Well, okay, I'll put them in little bags and I'll put them in the cubby holes." Well, then if you're putting them in baggies, what's the point of having the insert in the first place? That doesn't make any sense. So this really needed to be a modular tray system. And I already had a folded space insert for Architects of the West Kingdom. And granted, if you're not planning to get this expansion, get the folded space insert if you have just the others because it's great. But that folded space insert won't work with this expansion. So whether folded space will do an insert for the big box, I don't know. I don't think that would be cost effective for them, frankly. And you will not get everything in the base box. It's physically impossible. So I basically cannibalized my folded space stuff. And, you know, I wonder if I can pull up my Instagram channel and show this, actually. But, yeah, I pulled out my, my folded space stuff out of the box I had and essentially put them in the big box in such a way that I could in a sense, like still keep a speedy setup. So uh, here we go. So here's, yeah, here's my thing. Is it showing up on here nicely? I don't know. Cause I know Instagram is a bit funny with these sort of things. Yep. Here we go. It's showing on the screen. So I've got this big box here and I've also, this is what the insert it comes with. It's not, very, um, it's going to take a while to show on the uh, screen. It's it's kind of weird, but hopefully they do still show up. But the insert tray insert is just not particularly well thought out. It doesn't work, and so. You end up with a situation that you can't dismantle it. Things would I wouldn't want to store it on its side, honestly, but it could work. It's just, ah, you know. And the Viscount's big box is going to be no different. Because I think I ordered the big box for that. But I'm going to have the same problem. A plastic insert that just doesn't work. So you have to cannibalize things. And, you know, this is essentially what I've done with my uh, copy of the game. So I've taken my folded space stuff out of here. Yes, that's not snug, so I'm not going to store this vertically, but it will do fine horizontally, but it still means that I can set this up quickly from a horizontal perspective. So I can give people their player pieces, I can give people the card trays, I can give people the coin tray and the resource trays underneath. The only thing that I had to put separate were the works of wonder pieces and I had to bag up the building cards because I um, there was too many cards to fit in the trays that I had available. Big whoop, one baggie, I'll take that as a, as a success honestly, but compared to what it was like in the original folded space box, this was such a good setup for Architects of the West Kingdom and I just hate the fact that They've not bothered to innovate on their inserts and just give you a big box. I mean, how hard could it be to just get a tray system for this game? It would work so well. Partner up with someone else. Don't have to be game trays. Partner up with folded space. Get folded commission folded space to make you an insert for your big boxes. That would be brilliant. Honestly, I think more publishers should um, coincide with them. I think that would be a good arrangement. But, yeah, like I say, a bit of a shame on that. But at least it's in there and at least I can now store everything in one box. So, you know, all's well that ends well, I guess. Okay, uh, let's see, next thing that's uh, I've acquired is there another Oh yeah, Merchants of the Dark Road, finally that arrives. Seriously, people have had this for months now, since January. The UK has literally only just started shipping it. We had major delays. I mean, hello, Brexit. <laughs> hello a hundred reasons why that never worked. But finally I now have a copy of the game, and it had one of the worst diagrams for how to store the game that i've ever seen it literally shows you an exploded diagram of pieces but then doesn't tell you where the pieces go that is fail in my book serious fail now the insert is fine i hear a lot of people complain about the insert but it holds everything in the trays and i can get out of the box so i don't know where the major hatred for it is is it perfect no i think it could have been improved and it is a weird shape but at the end of the day i think that's the least of the problems so is the game good i have no idea yet to play it i mean uh, my friend has it as well so i'm hoping we can play this at some point in the next month or so uh, but i'm not planning to do a review on it because i'm kind of a bit late to the party really but i'll certainly post my thoughts I'm keen to try this because it looks gorgeous and Elf Creek tends to do very nice looking games even on retail versions. I think the only thing I didn't upgrade in my copy was the coins because I thought $40 for a set of metal coins was a bit much on top of the price of the game. But everything else is deluxe including the lanterns which I swear I'm going to go goo goo for every time I play the game. So they are pretty nice but we're going to see... I hope it's good. I've seen mixed reviews. The Dice Tower Four Squares review revealed some mixed opinions on the fact, so I'm a little bit concerned here, but who knows? Hopeful, 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 hopeful. So, uh, what else is right? Well, that's something for the Kickstarter stuff, so we're done with Kickstarter. Let's move on to. Uh, A couple of games for review from Alley Cat Games. Uh, Dice Theme Park has arrived. Uh, I've already tested the solo mode in this. And it's actually pretty solid from David Digby. And I've already played this as a prototype. I previewed it last year. And so I've got a retail version of the game that I'm going to review. This is basically a sequel to Dice Hospital where you're running a theme park and the dice are the people who are coming to your park and you're trying to move them across your tile board in order to go to the attractions and operate them to get points and money. It's mechanical, the theme could have literally been anything really, although it does fit with the whole theme park thing. The idea that as the pips go down on the dice, the people are getting bored and leaving the park, that's fine. But that puzzle, the spatial puzzle, is very satisfying, especially with this card mechanic that you have, where you have six different members of staff, you play two each round, and you get the... The number of the dice on the card represents your initiative value, so the initiative is whether you're going to go first in the round or not, and that's important, so you've got to base that with the other players. The money is what you get as base income, and then you get the special ability of the various characters that you can use. But then when the round is done, you pass those two cards to the player on your left, and you get two cards from the player on your right. Ginkopolis has a similar mechanic, which is another underrated game in my opinion, and I love this mechanic. I want to see it in more games, please. If anybody knows any other games that use that mechanic, let me know. I probably might even have one or two of them, I'm not entirely sure, but they're not coming to my mind at this point. But this is a mechanic I want to see more often, the idea that you're drafting cards that you've played, so you've got this idea of, well, if I play it, I'm not going to see it again for a while, but then will my player to my right pass me I don't know. They're playing a lot of income cards this round, so chances are they need income, so I reckon I'll get those cards from them. But then, what cards am I playing to the player on my left? Ugh, if I give them this card, they could go through that combo again. I might want to hesitate on playing that. But then I also want to go first. You know, it's just a great decision making process so i'm keen to get this one played more in multiplayer in its full form because bear in mind i've only previewed it in a prototype form so now that i've got the full game effectively without the mini expansions and deluxe upgrades this is purely a retail box which is a shame i kind of wouldn't mind that but you know doesn't matter retail box i'm keen to give this one more plays and on that front we've also got the retail box of eternal palace i previewed this and said it could potentially be a kingsburg killer so will it stick to that I don't have the deluxe version of this, so I'm not going to get this funky uh, model, which is a bit of a shame, but uh, I have a retail copy of the game, and I'm keen to get this played multiplayer and solo as well, because I want to see if this actually does end up being a Kingsburg killer for me, because that would be a really good thing to showcase, but uh, I'm going to do express reviews on these, uh, well, express reviews... Or live reviews, if you think that the concept could work. Alright, we'll come We'll come back to this. But they're not going to be detailed reviews, because Cat uh, have requested that I get this done before the UK Games Expo. And the UK Games Expo is literally in about 15 days' time or so, on the same weekend as my brother's wedding. So, you want me to play and review these games? Uh, they're going to be express reviews at most. There is no way I could get detailed reviews done in that time frame. But yeah, I'm keen to get this one played, so these could be two solid hits from Alley Cat Games. We'll wait and see. Oh, this segment's been going on a long time. Uh, Well, uh, that's kind of helpful, actually, because honestly, the discussion topic's going to be relatively quick. But uh, two other review copies from uh, the... uh, What have we got here? Uh, Yes, from Kiender. Kiender, as you know, uh, I still do stuff with Zatu. And we are going to do something, actually. Zatu and I are planning something to... I want to do a video where I talk about why Catan is still a good, fun game. Because everybody likes to hate on Catan so much. And I still have Catan early editions on my shelf. But I want to do something with Zatu where I showcase off the fifth edition of Catan, so the refreshed versions and explain what you get in base Catan, Seafarers, Cities and Knights, Traders and Barbarians, maybe Explorers and Pirates, I don't know, that's kind of a separate thing, but we'll see, it depends what Zatu are willing to send me. And I just want to do a video explaining why I still think Catan holds up to this day. You know, so you know that's something we're thinking of doing in the future and of course it will have a giveaway attached to it so what we'll probably do is say that uh if you watch and subscribe to the channel and obviously like and comment on the video you'll be able to request which one you want to win so you can either win a copy of base katan or if you've already got base katan and you want one of the expansions you could request that that's the thing you win and zatu will ship it out so we'll see about that but kiender has sent me two uh, non not two thousand twenty two games. These are relatively older games. One is two thousand eighteen. I think the other one's two thousand twenty. But they're interesting little quirky games, and I I'm interested to try these out. The first one here is First Contact, and First Contact is what I could consider to be a Codenames killer. That is already going to spark some interest for this game. But honestly, Codenames is fine. But it, it ends up being a very quiet game, it takes a while, and it just ends up being a waiting game of analysis paralysis Now, that. First Contact is this game from Cosmodrome Games, where basically aliens have landed and they're trying to communicate with the humans. And the, essentially both sides are trying to decipher the language of the aliens. And it's done in a code name style setup. You have these cards with you know, the pictures and the names on them. And what happens is that everybody's got a little chart behind a screen with symbology on it. And the symbology equates to a certain word. But it's in different layouts for different players. It's a team versus team sort of. One alien and one human will win. But there could be multiple humans and in multiple aliens depending on the number of players. So the humans are sort of working together but not. But then so are the aliens players. And what's happening is that... The humans are basically describing certain like words on the table with the code name stuff, uh, and then the aliens are trying to figure out. All right, well that symbol probably means this. That symbol means that. It, it's hard for me to explain. I need to play the game more. But what the aliens can then do is on their dry erase pad, they can write down. Um, up to three symbols on the pad and try and communicate that they want a certain card in the middle to be offered to them. And based on what everybody knows about the language that's been interpreted so far, players secretly and simultaneously vote on which one they think it is they want offered. The idea is that the alien players are trying to get humans to offer their items to them with a codename style card that, as you can see on this picture, has the blue and the red and the, the one that you must never get offered. You know, So it's got some similarities to codenames. But in the one play I played of this, there was already far more interaction, there was much more thematic immersion, because the whole idea of deciphering an alien language actually makes sense, not to mention it raises a few cool jokes and references that you can make. The gameplay was relatively smooth, the, there was definitely some thinkiness to it, and it generated a lot of banter and laughter, and can be played with up to seven players. You know, so you can have different numbers on each side. This has the potential, as I said, to kill codenames. I am very interested in getting this one played and definitely I'll be doing an express or maybe this will be one of the first contenders for a live review of this game. So very keen to get this played because I think most people have not heard of this. Uh, Tom Vassell mentioned it briefly once on one of his videos and that's about it. Uh, and then also they've given me a copy of something called Alice's Garden. I had never heard of this game before. Uh, Camel T is getting cold i uh, never heard of this game before, and I thought, okay, everybody's going on the Alice craze at the moment. I mentioned Wonderland's War, we've had a couple of other Alice games, and now we've got Alice's Garden. It's like, seriously, did, did it just become mainstream or something? Because everybody's now trying to plan Alice on everything. But, fair enough, let's go into it. Now, first of all, the cover looks gorgeous. That cover is beautiful. Look at that cover. That is just screaming colour. And you know a decent aesthetic, so already that caught my attention. It's a small box, but the other thing that caught my attention with this, which made me decide, you know what, I'd like to give this a try and review it, was these stats here: one to four players. Okay, so it's got a little solo mode in it, maybe thirty to forty-five minutes. Weight one point two. Now the weight rating means nothing for me, but I got a basic showcase of the game from Fran, who runs that uh, like Kienda, uh, like the UK thing. And it basically is a polyomino tile laying game where players choose, uh, I forget the exact rules of it, but basically you've got these beautiful bags. I mean, look at it, you've got eight or so of these bags here with this cool logo on it and a shape of a piece. And basically, I think it's something like if a player chooses a piece chooses a particular bag to get a piece out of and then several pieces come out of it and then players take it in turns to draft one of those pieces so other players are dictating what tiles are available and you have to make do with it but the symbology on these things i mean it's it's smallish so if you're bad eyesight this might prove to be a little bit of a problem but it keeps it a small table presence but you essentially are laying them on your board in this kind of red queen style fashion you know tile lane And the various pieces, the artwork and that score in different ways so I, don't know, I mean there's not many pictures of this game so there's only so much I can show but you know you've got the toadstools that score by having clusters you've got the chess pieces that score by being in certain formations you've got the roses that score in another way trees like to be spaced out you know they're very simple scoring mechanisms and they're all on the bottom of your board but basically yeah you just keep going try to fill up your board uh, you play so many rounds or so many turns or maybe somebody's completed their board I can't remember what the end game condition is and then total up the points this sounds like a nice, neat little game, you know, especially as it looks beautiful like this. But they were selling it for £15, £16, pound. and I think this will probably only be, like, a £20 pound game at tops. Wow! In a day and age where games are getting stupidly expensive, this reminded me of a game I actually taught at the convention last week, Forbidden Island, okay? Forbidden Island from GameRight. It staggers me how cheap that game is. That game is like £18, £15 or so. You can buy it dirt cheap. And when you look at the production quality of that game, I don't know how they make a profit on it. But that's how you make a game for cheap with good aesthetics. This is about the same price as Forbidden Island. And not only do you get these tiles, which granted, it's relatively thin stock. It's not like they're going to bend in your hand. But no, these are not thick, chunky tiles. But honestly, they don't need to be. But... You've got the small board that's clear as day to use. But you've got all these bags. Green felt bags with this custom logo on it. And like, what do you have? Like seven or eight of them in the box? That's a, for 15 to 20 pound. How do they do that? A staggers believe This is from, it's got a couple of distributors. But the main one that, the reason Kendra got it, I think it's Maldito Games. And they're a Spanish firm. But this is phenomenal production quality for a 15 to 20 pound game. So that that caught my interest as well, but Baron Park is one that I've sung the praises of as being like the best group polyomino game for gateway gamers. This could, I'm not saying it could replace it, because they both feel like different games, but if this one could be done quicker than Baron Park, we could have a new contender for one of the best gateway level polyomino games out there. So, I had to get stuck into this one and find out. And, like I say, I'll get it played. It's not going to take me long to get this one played enough times. A 30-minute game, I'll be able to churn it out in the space of a couple of days in terms of if I can get different groups together. But, wow, this has got potential. You know, I could be setting myself up here for disappointment, but, I don't know, this is promising. This could be one of those hidden gems I like to find. So, we'll see on that front. Right, uh, right. that's enough for acquisitions. As you can see, I've got a lot on my plate right now. And that's before we even think about the fact that I'm contemplating doing a detailed review for Perseverance, which I've now given enough plays to do a detailed review on. But uh, I can't do two videos for it because it would be too problematic. So it would have to be a detailed review that skim... Uh, To keep it to a 20 minute or so length, I'm going to have to basically... It's detailed but I've got to cover two separate games with it. But there is linkages between both games, so I didn't want to do two videos because it felt like some of the bits would just repeat themselves. But I didn't get this as a review copy, so this is me doing it out of my own free will. But will a detailed review of Perseverance be wanted? Because most people who have this game are just going to be the diehard gamers, big Euro gamers who got this on Kickstarter... I don't know if this is going to appeal to the masses, so I'm in two minds. Do you want to, Do you want me to do a detailed review of Perseverance, or would you prefer me to just do a live review or talk about it on a podcast episode? We'll see, because this one could be a bit of a time sink. That rating that I've got there could change, but that's kind of where I'm sitting at the moment on it, but you know, that's for another time. Okay, let's get off this segment, because I just realized I've been spending 40 minutes of this podcast on just stuff I've got so we're gonna have to uh uh, move a little bit um so let's move on to uh dead reckoning dead reckoning is the game i have played finally i have played it Uh, my friend showed me it this is the third in a series of games it's not really a series it's just it's the third card crafting game that john declare has done in association with aeg i have mystic veil on my shelf and i have edge of darkness on my shelf and i love both games particularly edge of darkness I didn't back this one, though, because the Kickstarter got to somewhat ridiculous levels in terms of, uh, like, the price of the price of it. And I thought, do I really need free games with this concept, especially as this one looked like it was going to be another long game to play, not to be played with anybody just off the bat, you know? It would need heavy gamers, and I thought, nah, I don't know. And I'm not a massive pirate nut, you know? I, I can get into the theme, but pirates are not the first thing I'm interested in when it comes to thematic settings. So I passed. So I was keen to find out if I would have Kickstarter regret from not backing this. My friend has the deluxe version. She's got all the bells and whistles in it. But we just played a basic game of this with the deluxe pieces. And for, I mean, the deluxe pieces are gorgeous. Metal coins, these barrels, the crates. There's no tele, there's no like denying that the production quality of this game is sound. With this cube tower boat for combat and that. And the artwork is pretty stellar as well. So this is a really good production. Not going to lie about that. The gameplay was fun, but I do have some issues with it, and my friend had a similar verdict as well. I want to play this more, because I did enjoy it overall. I mean, I think I gave it a 7 or an 8 when I was playing it, so I still think it's a good and great game, but I have concerns. This is first impressions only, okay? you Firstly, the exploration in this is pretty meh. You have this grid of tiles at the start of the game and they're flipped down at first but literally all you find on them is an island with the same buildings that you can build there's only three buildings you can make in the game and a slightly different size track for control that's literally the only difference the only other difference is that you get one of the advancement cards on each one and they go up in like power by the level as you go further out of field but that doesn't really to me feel like much in the way of exploration so i was kind of hoping for a bit more on that the other problem is the swings of luck this game has. This game is not short. This game took between two to three hours. I think it took nearly three hours to play this game for a player with a teach. Okay, There's a lot of teaching that needs to be done. This has a lot of rules in the game that you need to know in advance. You can't just jump straight into this. And there's obviously only so much you're doing when it's someone else's turn. So there's a bit of downtime. But... The problem I had was the swinginess of luck. And I mentioned this with Wonderland's War and I'm going to repeat myself here. Luck is fine in a game, okay? I have no problems with luck and randomness. But the game length needs to justify itself for being that long. And when it comes to luck, it has to justify the amount of randomness it has. If you played a three-hour game where you made nothing but strategic choices, but then at the very last minute the winner was decided by a dice roll, that would suck wonderland's war has this problem where you're doing basically push your luck the entire game and yet the game can take anywhere like two and a half to three hours with more players that's too long and you know by the time i'm done by the time i get to the third round in wonderland's war i'm done really i've played two acts i've had good fun but we got another round to go i feel like the game should have ended by now this one has a similar problem with the luck aspect. This combat system with the with the boat, you drop cubes in it, and depending where they land, depends on how much plunder you get, how much damage you do, and whether you win the fight. It is entirely random. There is no way to jinx it, there is no way to offset it. You might have some ability on an upgraded gunner that allows you to shift a cube one bit and that, but otherwise, it is purely random where the cubes come out. So even if you're really good at combat, you probably could still lose just because of bad cubes but on top of that you have these fire bits on there which sink a ship you can only take five fire tokens and then your boat sinks if you sink you lose some of your coins you lose some of your stuff and you go back to port or whatever and it's like it's a bit annoying when it happens but if a player sinks you and you've got like no coins on your ship you lose five coins out of your chest which bear in mind that's victory points they get the five points so that's already a 10 point swing and there's an achievement which is basically ripping off Scythe where the game ends based on you achieving various goals at our Scythe. And one of them is sinking an opponent's ship for three points. So that's a 13 point swing for, for doing this. 13 point swing for just sinking an opponent's ship. And people might say, well that's hard to inflict five fire tokens on. What if they have several? I mean, if they have two or three on their ship already, it's not difficult to inflict another two. Win the combat and get one cube on a fire space and you've succeeded. You, know, you can only repair yourself so quickly in this game, particularly with four players. So, 13 point swing. That cost me the game. It literally cost me the game because I would have won had it not been for that swing. And there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't heal myself fast enough to warrant the fact that somebody who wasn't even geared for combat could just come along and sink me. And I was playing a non-fighting game. I didn't fight anybody the entire game. I was playing purely exploration, building, and controlling islands. And I was still doing well enough that I could have possibly won, which is good. It means you don't have to do combat to win. But that swing means that I want to do combat from now on. Because the fact that I could literally at the last minute just go, "Oh, I'll kill that person. Yay! 13-point swing is a little insane for a game that can take 2-3 to three hours to play. Definitely, I think this game looks like it suits one to two players more. I think four players is probably just not scaling pretty well. Maybe three players is better. But, yeah, that was a bit of a sour note. That Because nothing else in the game gives you that kind of points level. At most, you might pick up an advancement card with end game scoring that could get you maybe six to seven at best. But nothing else in this game gives you 13 points like that. You know, controlling islands isn't that lucrative. I mean, you can get... Five points at the end for controlling an island, second place gets four, and all they have to do is put one cube down on there to say they're in second place. Whoopee! You know, it. It that was a bit of a sour note, so I'm a little bit questionable about game balance, uh, uh the, the game length, but I want to try it some more, but I don't have regrets for not backing it. I think I prefer Edge of Darkness and Mystic Veil to this so far. But I want to try this some more. I'm up for playing it. I just have concerns. And I still think the card crafting in this is great fun. I love doing that. Upgrading your characters and getting more advances in them. I think is really, really good fun. So I want to play it more. Um, I think maybe 8. As I say it now, I think 8 is maybe a little bit optimistic. So I'm going to pop this down to a 7 rating. I think it's good. But I need to play it some more. So yeah. Good, but I'm glad I didn't back it. I'm glad I didn't spend that money because I might have regretted it. Maybe this is really best as a solo game, I don't know, but it was a lot of money to spend on it. I think they're gonna do another Kickstarter with new content and the chance to get this again, but you're gonna have to do some convincing, I think. Now, a little quick rant I need to do on this that I said I was gonna talk about earlier, and I said I would save for this. Dead reckoning, right? So these are my thoughts, alright? I've given you my thoughts, and this is first impressions, okay? This is not a formal review, but. This is starting to annoy me on social media now because I posted my first impression thoughts on the board game group, which is one of the larger Facebook groups. Now, I've already made clear that I have no interest in TikTok at all. I have made clear that Twitter is essentially a bit of a cesspit worth of social media, but I am posting a little bit more often on Twitter at the moment because more people have started interacting and they're more friendly. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to be posting a lot on Twitter, but I'm still occasionally posting but i'm trying to keep it to less controversial topics if i can help it because twitter is just a like oh dear be careful with that but i always thought that facebook wouldn't be too bad but facebook is starting to get worse and worse because some groups are good to post on the solo groups are generally pretty good and the dice tower group is generally all right although you don't get much activity on the dice tower group compared to some others but you've got the uk one and you've got the board game group us one They are starting to get a little bit out of hand with some of the toxicity from some people. Because, you know, some people will happily, like, discuss your thoughts and that. But there's a lot of people that will defend their titles to the hilt if you say anything remotely negative. It's getting to the point now where literally the only thing you can put on Facebook is literally just, I played this game, I like it, the end. Like, you can't say I didn't like it because somebody will have your head off for it. But then apparently, according to a designer and publisher, right? A designer-publisher, who he's, he's already had it in for me. He's, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to start a flame war here. But, you know, I've already blocked him anyway. But, you know, I unblocked him. And then I thought, okay, maybe he's grown up and he hasn't. But the I basically put up my first impressions of Dead Reckoning, which mirror pretty much what I've just said there, right? And they were first impressions. I never said it was a review and no way does it come off as a review it's a post that's still there i haven't taken down the post but it just had my thoughts on the game according to this person who is a not top tier level but you know people will recognize the name if i was to say it you know it's a designer linked to a publisher this according to this person hear with me on this according to them you should not be able to post your thoughts about a game unless you've had about seven to eight plays this was basically the wording he said in a nutshell, along with some other insults, okay, hence I blocked him, you know, it's like I've got enough anxiety problems to deal with without having somebody insult me on social media, but okay, hang on a minute, so I posted thoughts about a game, and some of it reflected uh, potential game balance issues, and yes, it's first impressions, I can't i'm not saying it's gospel fact it's first impressions okay most people who post on facebook are literally just playing the game for the first time and they're saying oh yeah i played this and this has some thoughts on it right according to this person none of those are valid none of those should be posted you should not be able to post your thoughts on a game until you've played it so often then you can articulate your thoughts no sod off (laughs) I'm sorry if that breaks the watershed on YouTube or whatever, but yeah, get stuffed. Honestly, because that is such a stupid idea. If you have played a game for the first time and you have some thoughts to talk about the game, you post it on social media and you get a picture of it and you let me know what you think of it. Will I agree or disagree with it? That's irrelevant. Doesn't matter. I want you to talk about it and give your thoughts, whether it's positive or negative. This just boggles my mind that this person who is a designer and a publisher said this. Ah, oh, so stupid. I cannot believe that is something they would say. Because, I mean, it basically just takes out people who post. I mean, the thing is, I bet you anything this is not said when other people do it. I bet if anybody else was to say it, any other critic, any other board game reviewer, wouldn't be a problem. They'd be, like, singing the praises going, Yay! I love what you have to say. This person's had it in for me for ages. So I know that this is built up from past aggression here. This is not just a one-off issue. But, wow. Seriously. No. No. I'm going to post my thoughts on social media. I'm going to post first impressions. If I'm doing a formal review, I'm doing it as a video on this channel. After I've played the game significant numbers of times to warrant giving it a review, okay? What I post on social media is not formal reviews. It is impressions, or after a few plays, okay? Instagram is the closest thing you can get to a written review, and even then, most of the time, that's just first impressions. Seriously I'm gonna post my thoughts. I want other people to post their thoughts on social media. Don't listen to people like this who are basically the comic book guy from the simpsons you know the 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 you know the the snobby guy who sits in the comic shop going you know i, I don't i yeah I laugh at your feeble attempt of knowledge of this topic or something. It's like don't be like that person, okay. Nobody likes them. Just ah oh, go into a rant but had to say it, it drove me nuts to hear that and I put my sort of venting out on Twitter and I'm actually surprised that on Twitter of all places, people were actually really supportive. But I posted it on my Facebook page and people were really supportive there, I even got hugs, which was nice. But I posted it on Twitter and people agreed. They said, yeah, that comment makes no sense, why would anyone say that? Nobody was saying a disagreement. And this is Twitter, I expected to get my head ripped off for posting something like that on Twitter. But, yeah, like I said, I'm not naming names because I'm not starting a flame war here. But, you know, that just really, that wound me up a bit. And saying that Facebook is really getting to a point. I'm posting less on Facebook at the moment because the toxicity is still there. And, ah. Instagram is the way forward I think. I want more people to follow my Instagram channel. I really want that to boost up. If you're on Instagram and you haven't followed me yet, please do because a lot of my posts are now being focused on Instagram for social media because I'm posting a lot of posts each day. I mean there are some people who post like literally a post a week. No, I'm posting like two or three things a day half the time and it could be anything from an unboxing to you know my thoughts on a game. Detailed, not detailed. I still need to learn a bit about the algorithm and hashtags and all that. But I'm doing it. And Instagram, everybody's friendly. Everybody's just so welcoming. People will comment. There's the odd spam person on there now and again. But whatever, it's not harmful. But yeah, everybody is just there to have a good time and talk about games on Instagram. And it's just such a decent social media platform. So my focus gone. Instagram is my highest focus. Facebook after that, but with some uh, caveats. Because I'm always afraid sometimes to post my reviews on the Facebook pages now. Because, firstly, a bunch of people will probably just ignore it anyway. But secondly, I'm just afraid that I'll post a video there, somebody will watch it, and then start going all toxic about it. But then, can I even post my first thoughts now about a game without someone going toxic? I don't know. It This is not how gamers should be, people... We should be better than this. This is the kind of thing that people should be doing videos about and getting worked up about, okay? This stuff's important. You know, because it doesn't just affect me. It doesn't just affect reviewers. It affects people and just general gamers. If you're getting into games and you've played something for the first time and you post your thoughts on a group and then somebody attacks you for it, how are you going to feel? Is that going to make you want to progress with the board game hobby? No, it'll put you right off. So, yeah, people grow up. So, let's move on to some news then. Okay, uh, and I'm going to go and talk briefly about these news, so let's go into some basics. Uh, Firstly, a thank you to uh, Artipia Games. This isn't really news, I just wanted to do a little shout out here. But Artipia Games are delayed trying to get their Big Box and Nostalgia expansion out for the Pursuit of Happiness. It's a shame, I really want that big box. I played it twice at Baycon recently, and I really want that big box. You know, even more than the actual expansion. But they did an update, and bear in mind, I'm not a backer of this game. So I don't get these updates, okay? I did some video content for them. Uh, Go check out my videos where I talk about all the expansions, and they're going to send me these as, you know, know, as a request. But I'm not a backer, so I don't get these updates. But they put an update recently that my friends told me about, uh, literally only a few days ago, where they have watched my top 10 worker placement games video and they've linked it yeah it's on their update. So, uh, Pursuit of Happiness was on there, I can't remember where I put it, 8 or 9 or something, you know, it's in my top 10 worker placement games for sure, and 8 or 9 might not sound much, but bear in mind there's a lot of worker placement games out there, and ones I really like, I could easily do an 11 or 20 of this, and they would still be 10 really great games, and I could probably do a top 50 worker placement games and still get really, really good ones. So, to be in my top 10 is a pretty big deal. But yeah, they linked the card, they linked the video, and uh, uh, yeah and did their thanks so you know what you know thanks for sending that it's nice when publishers go out of their way to do this because i didn't ask them to link this they did this of their own accord you know there's a lot of publishers who won't even put one of my old reviews on their kickstarter page when i've already reviewed the base game it's like seriously i gave your base game a good review and you won't even bother to put it on your kickstarter page oh sorry i'm not as popular as a uh, Quackaloporado, but you know it's nice when a publisher just does it so thanks very much what makes me sad, though, is that the comments here are mostly talking about the fact that the box is going to be a shape that they're not as fan of, or the delays of getting it out. So, it would have been nice if somebody had made a nice comment about this, but, no, like I say, it's there. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, they, have all days of wonder, have decided to do... Hang know, the pictures on my thing do seem to be a little bit on the slow side with updating. So, if they... There we go, that's better. Uh, but days of wonder have announced another ticket to ride small box san francisco whatever i guess i mean new york and amsterdam i was met on i have london i do think this is a good idea for a series you know ticket to ride in 15 minutes went down very well at bake at the convention uh, comic con i was teaching games at the ability to play this with 15 minutes really appealed to a lot of players and i have london for that purpose but I don't need this to be a series where there's 10 of them. Because I don't think you need 10 of them. But we've got one with San Francisco. Set in the late 60s I think. It's another colourful map. You're supposed to be able to do it pretty quick. It'll be a small box. And it will have some quirk about picking up souvenirs. What else can you really say? It's a small box. I take it a ride. It will be good. I don't see it being bad. But yeah. If you're trying to collect all of these. Or if you just like the colour and theme of it. Then by all means. Grab it, it's the funky late 60s, although some of these characters on the front do creep me out a little bit. <laughs> and finally, for news, uh, oh no, second to last, Um, I don't normally talk about this sort of thing, but I just thought that this was a really nice thing and I wanted to mention it. First, let me down my tea. Ah, tea bag trying to go in my mouth there. Right, that's better. Oh, I've been talking a while. So, Asmodee have launched this new line called Access Plus. It's, this, it's an idea of making games as universal as possible. So they've got a few titles here, like Double, Cortex, and Timeline. Now, I like Timeline. I don't particularly like Double, and I don't know about Cortex. But what they're trying to do is they're effectively repackaging a bunch of their games to be more accessible to people with disabilities. So they want to make it as universal as possible. And this could be cognitive, emotional, social, behavioral um, disabilities. And it's basically designed to stimulate those functions and spark positive emotions, foster social ties, while allowing you know people with disabilities to enjoy some board games. You know what? Good on you, Asmodee. This is a nice gesture, all right? I like the idea of this. I mean, there are charities. I mean, there's like Games for Tots or Games for something. I can't remember. Toys for Tots or something. There's a couple of um, like little charities in, in the UK that do this sort of thing where they try to teach games to people with learning disabilities and that. And it's a good little charity. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, it'd be, maybe it would be nice to do something for them one day. I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. But uh, but this, this idea that the studio is going to launch a bunch of these games, good on you. I, I mean, this is early days. I this is just the free titles they've got at the moment. I'm sure they can do more others in their range because there's plenty of Asmodee titles that could suit. Uh, you know, they probably won't be games that I tend to play. they will be more for kids. But, you know, by all means, you know, good on you. You know, bigger box. Um, Tom Vassel made the comment on the on the news video that uh, they look like diaper boxes. Not having kids. I'm not exactly sure if that's a valid comparison, but and like I say, they look pretty bland in terms of their appeal box wise but yeah you know I'm up for this you know I'm not, I'm not going to be reviewing these and stuff like that because I don't know the first thing about playing games with those with learning disabilities I'm not an expert on this so don't expect me to be able to do that kind of thing but I'm just you know round of applause you know I think this is a really cool idea and I'd like to see it do well so hopefully it will we'll see how this pans out in the coming future really but yeah i'd I'd like to see this become a thing and then finally briefly and as i say i think my discussion topic is going to be very short on this episode and to be honest it probably will so lord knows what i'm going to title this episode but i just want to briefly talk about newswise uh the uk games expo awards shortlist so i'm not going to talk in detail about these awards like i normally do because it's you know i've Uh, There's only so much I can say about a lot of these titles because a lot of them I haven't heard of. But I'm all... Look, if you're in these categories and you have a chance of winning, then good luck. Good on you. I'm not hating on it for that. But I feel that the UK Games Awards are not... You know, I'm from the UK and I'm saying this. But the Games Expo Awards are not exactly something to write home about. Because they do pick some really obscure titles that no one's ever heard of. So I don't know what the choosing process is for this. But I feel that whoever compiles the shortlist needs to have done more than five seconds worth of Google research on some of these games to work out if they even fit the category. Because some of these, I'm just like, what? I mean, best abstract game. I have not heard of anything apart from Great Plains. Now, they are abstract games as far as I'm aware, although I don't know about Great Plains. But Deck Chairs and the Titanic and tactiki I've never heard of these two games, so were they good? I've no idea. But then you get Best Accessory, and, you know, you've got a Tyrant Board Game Backpack, you've got a Tome of Spell Holding for, like, a RPG, I think, and then you've got the Insert for Dinosaur World from Folded Space. Now, I'm the first person to shout the praises of Folded Space for inserts, but it just seems really random that this one insert for this one game is suddenly highlighted. I mean, what other accessories are there? But here's where some things really get my goat. Best board game American style, right? Try, right. First one, Unfathomable, I'm going to mention, right? Reprinted Battlestar Galactica, Cthulhu theme, luck, social deduction. That's an American style game. Perfect, fine. That can fit into the category. Brace yourselves, Old Tree and Living Forest. What? Seriously, what? Has anybody played these two games? I have. They're not American games. Old Trey is a co-op Euro game. Living Forest is a Euro game through and through. None of these are American style. And granted, you could debate for ages about the distinction between Euro and American style, but I ain't got time for that now. But those are Euro games. How is this... How did they get into this category? It doesn't make any sense. And it gets worse. I mean... The best board game, Eurostar. is actually probably the most accurate of the lot here. Botoku, Iki, and Lost Ruins of Arnak. Now, I hope Lost Ruins of Arnak wins because, frankly, Iki is fine, but it has its issues. And Botoku, I only thought, was average. So, you know, I hope Lost Ruins of Arnak wins. But at least that that category works. Then we get best board game, Strategic, right? masters of the night i have never heard of this game it's from Ares games i hear nobody talking about it and yet this is up for an award the thing the board game isn't the thing meant to be a social deduction like team versus like the thing game like hidden traitor thing how's that strategic that doesn't make any sense but then get on board get on board as in the small yellow flipping right game that i reviewed the other week okay it's a good game it's not a strategic game. What? You flip a card over and then make a t- decision tactically. It's a tactical game at best. Because <laughs> you flip a card and you have to react to what card is flipped. You can't strategize exactly what you're going to do in the game. This is in no way a strategic game. How? <laughs> best card game. General. Cultivate. Dungeon Decorators and Star Scrappers Orbital. I have not heard of any of these free games. Were there really no other card games that could be considered? But here's the fun bit. Dungeon Decorators is a tile-laying game. It's, it's from Slugfest Games, and this is here. There's maybe a few cards in it at best, but you are literally building a dungeon out of tiles. How is this in the category for card game? What on earth? Uh, best card game strategic. Shamans, Mini Rogue, and The Lord of the Rings LCG Revised corset. Kind of odd to put the Lord of the Rings set when it's basically just a reprint of content, but like I say, it's a good strategic card game. I'll go for it. No idea on Mini Rogue, and Shamans is actually an interesting little game. I've got it now, and it's a good little hidden gem, but strategic? I don't know if I'd call it strategic, but like I say, it'd be cool to see that win, because I think Shamans needs a little bit more buzz. Uh, children's game, I don't... Block Nest, Moonlight Castle, and Quacks of Quaglinburg, Quaglinburg Dash. Here's another thing, though, that we're going to get onto here, though. It's not just whether they fit the categories. It's how long have these games been in the public domain to actually get played. Quacks and Code Quedlinburg Dash. Hasn't even been released yet, has it? Maybe it's been released in Germany and it's been out for a while. But I've not seen it anywhere in America or UK or any of the other big markets. So how did this suddenly get put up for an award? And best dice game is another idea. Under Falling Skies, great. contender that could has a high chance of winning now as much as i am saying that i'm going to review these next two games and i do have respect for them both dice theme park and eternal palace both from alicat games i mean well done for having two games in the award they're not released yet they haven't even fulfilled to kickstarter backers so how are they up for an award who's played this who's played them is it literally just a voting committee of about five to ten people that play these games and decide they should be the best how surely some public like domain should you know public consumer play should factor into these if it literally is just 10 people who vote on these then that pretty much destroys the entire concept of an award frankly in my book but if it is just a bunch of 10 people then surely one of them owns a computer and can google search what an american board game is i don't know and then you get other ones like a digital hybrid game, Descent and Destinies, fine, although I wouldn't really vote them particularly highly. Best expansion, Lost Runes of Arnach, Leaders, Taverns of Tiefenfall, Open Doors, seriously, has anybody talked about this expansion? And Undaunted Reinforcements, if that doesn't get won by Expedition Leaders, I'll call foul. Uh, best family game, Llama Land, Chronicles of Evil and Necropolis, I've not even heard of those last two. It, they do get some weird ones in there. Gaming, novelties, miniature range, miniature rules. These are ones that I've not played anything from, so I wouldn't know anything. And same for the RPGs. I mean, you know, I have no idea if any of these RPG ones are good. It's not something I do anymore. Uh, best Party Game, Last Message, Match 5, and Secret Identity. Really? I mean... Did they, did they put things like Just One and So Clover on last year? Because surely that would probably get more of a ranking. I don't know. But I don't put much cop in the UK Games Expo Awards, frankly. Because I come across such weird disparities like this. And it just puts me off them. But... As I say, other people might have different opinions, and that's fine. I mean, what do you think? You know, do you give this one a lot of credit? Uh, Do you tend to ignore the UK Games Expo Awards? And as I say, if you're in these awards and you have a good chance of winning, then good luck to you. Yeah, I'm not going to say that being in this award is complete garbage. If you get an award at the end of the day, it's an award. It guarantees more sales, and it gets your game noticed more. So, by all means, you know, good luck to check game editions good luck to yellow games good luck to alley cat games you know studio h fantasy flight you know for some of these games that i think should win some of these categories uh but then folded space even you know i mean their inserts are great in general i don't know about dinosaur world but by all means they should just win best accessory for the fact that they are such a good company so you know i would give them that uh, certainly over a tome of spell holding whatever that's meant to be but oh well as i say that's just me so, right, finally, and this is probably going to be a very brief topic because I'm already up to an hour with this podcast, but I just want to talk briefly about the Kickstarter problem that we've got at the moment. So, uh, Kickstarter has gone through some contro- controversies, as we've noticed, and... The problem is, is that shipping costs have gone crazy around the world. You know, I've already mentioned last time about Marvel's On Beside and the palaver that's happened with this. There is apparently a similar thing going on with some of the Alley Cat Games stuff. The, uh, with the Autobahn, there is other games where the shipping has gone ridiculous. But there's also the pricing issues. Like uh, Kingdom Builder, for example, has a Kickstarter at the moment, which is basically just a pre-order thing. It, but it's basically like an upgrade kit and that. And they want you to pay something like 300 plus dollars plus shipping and VAT for everything Kingdom Builder. It's like, do you really need to spend that kind of money on something like Kingdom Builder? And so, the issue is that I'm wondering, is there a chance that Kickstarter could fail? Like, or die out? Now, I certainly don't think it could die out properly. Like, oh, nobody will ever use Kickstarter. Because GameFound will have a similar... Concept and Gamefound probably going to have similar problems to the Kickstarter, really. So I'm kind of including both of them in this, even though I do think Gamefound projects are better than Kickstarter projects by the platform. But the thing is, is that I think Kickstarter projects and this sort of thing, publishers are going to have to rethink their strategies with this, because and and consumers are also going to have to rethink their priorities, because now. I think the old system for how kickstarters used to function no longer works you can't just say oh here's a bucket load of stuff with a ton of miniatures and things like that because the price goes up like crazy which is already going to be a problem considering living expenses for a lot of people around the world particularly us in the uk are very high at the moment because of everything that's going on with russia and ukraine and all the shipping issues so people are being squeezed out of what money they have on top of that the games are getting more expensive as a result so do you need to spend that much money on some of these games the shipping is now making like the whole idea of getting it in advance not particularly worth it for that cost i mean if you're spending 200 on a game and you've got to spend another hundred dollars to ship it was it really worth 300 in order to do that I mean, I feel sorry for everybody in the Marvel Zombicide camp having to pay pretty much the cost of their pledge in shipping. Because that's ridiculous. There is no way the game justifies that level of expense. And it, you know, that alone is already going to price a lot of people out. Pre-orders, were getting wise to the fact that people use it as a pre-order system. And normally it would be like, well, okay, you can get some cool deluxe add-ons. But... Not always. Not every single one does. Uh, Garpill Games do not put a lot of extra stuff in their Kickstarters. They basically say, look, you know, this is effectively a pre-order. You can get metal coins if you want, but that's about it. Apart from that, what you see is what you get. And at the moment, you know, retail places are getting it quicker than the Kickstarter backers by a small amount. So the whole original concept, which was you could pre-order it or back it, and then you got it first before the retail people did doesn't happen anymore rarely do you get that situation unless it's pretty much exclusively not going to be on retail but there's a lot of occasions where you order something the retailers get it first and you have to wait more time to get what you thought was going to come earlier so suddenly that advantage is out the window People, I think, just need to rethink now. I think publishers need to take a new approach. You can't put these overly expensive Kickstarters up anymore. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of people that will fall for anything you do, and that's a shame, really. I mean, it's no different from sports gamers with EA and things like Madden and stuff like that. It's basically, and you know, there are people who will still get suckered by anything these days. But the... I just don't think that you can do this kind of thing. You've got to start making more cost-effective Kickstarters or consider not using it. You know, I mean, if you're a small publisher, indie publisher, and you really do need the funding, that's fine. But I think big publishers maybe need to start stepping away from Kickstarter and start just bringing stuff out in retail. You can bring out a retail in a deluxe version, fine. But you kind of need to just do it that way because we don't want to pay all this extra shipping because if I just wait for it to come out on retail, I can get a game that's perfectly good and I never say that you have to get the deluxe version in order to have the game and enjoy it, but you'll be able to get it just at the same time and you'll be able to spend a lot less on it because it's already gone through all the import stuff. So, you know, I mean, you pay extra shipping to get it on the Kickstarter project, That shipping probably isn't as high as if you just bought it from within your own home country. So suddenly you've just basically eroded any price advantage. For Certainly for consumers, I recommend that the best thing you do on every Kickstarter project now, and I might even start doing this, is back it at one quid, one dollar. Back it at the basic level so that you don't like, get any extras at that point, wait for the project to finish, and then when the pledge manager goes out, you edit your pledge manager and see whether you still want the game at that point, when the shipping is known. So, What you effectively do is you save yourself the problem of getting stuck in the situation that the Marvel Somberside crowd has. You can evaluate at the time the pledge manager comes out, are you still that interested in the game? Yes or no? Is the price worth it? Yes or no? Then you can just edit your pledge and you get in. Because people don't do early bird offers anymore, so that's a thing of the past. So whether you back it at $1 and then up it later or get the high price first makes no difference, really, at all, to anybody. So I hope that publishers don't start doing early bird offers as a way of fear of missing out, because that would be dirty. I I would consider that dirty practice, and it might put me off backing your project. But yeah, I think that's a good way for consumers to act in the future. But high shipping, and the price of games, and the pre-order nonsense, I think, yeah, Kickstarter projects are going to... I don't think it's going to die out properly, but I think it could whittle down. There's got to be a limit. There's got to be a limit of tolerance for consumers. And the only way publishers will think twice about doing something one way is with the wallets. Yeah, because it's all about profit at the end of the day. So the the main reason, like video game companies like EA, will spout out garbage, you know, live service games and mess up things like Battlefield. You know, the new Battlefield being a disaster and putting microtransactions and everything. The reason they still do that. Is because people will still buy it. And people will still give them money. If people didn't give them money, they wouldn't do it. It's because it's so lucrative. So, it's the same with publishers. If they know they're going to get a ton of money out of it, then they're going to do it. It's not like they're going to stop. You know, certainly Cool Money or Nots not going to change their practices anytime soon. Although, given what happened with Marvel Somberside, if they don't change their practices, I'd like to hope that people would start wising up a bit. So, yeah... I'm certainly going to think twice about most Kickstarters. I mean, granted, I've had a bunch of them arrive, but this was stuff from the last year. But I'm going to be looking at Kickstarter projects with a fine tooth comb now. In fact, there's one recently, uh, the the new Sleeping Gods one. I've got Sleeping Gods on my shelf, and I really like it, okay? But the new one, Distant Skies, I didn't back it. No, I didn't back it. If I can get a review copy, I'm just going to get a review copy, because the... Uh, I mean, a big comparison is the, sing, the Deluxe and retail versions is the deluxe edition really that different that you had to spend extra money on it likelihood probably not the upgraded version of distant skies i think you can get metal coins which to be fair the coins in uh, red raven games not usually a big highlight and maybe there's a little bit of extra content like the weird sort of side scenario but again do you have the time to play it after this content you know i can only play that like once or twice through, and then I'm kind of done because there's no way I can physically play it that often. And the same's going to be for all these big campaign games. So I decided not to back it. I figured I'll wait because the retail version is going to look good. It's going to be great. It will come out when it does. If I can get a review copy, even better. But even if I have to buy it with my own money, it will probably be cheaper doing it because I won't have to pay the extortionate shipping. So why not just wait? And, yeah, I've got some stuff arriving. I mean, Tindania, I backed earlier, and I did bottle and buy Deep Rock Galactic. <laughs> I originally wasn't going to because of how much it cost, but Group Pledge came up. It was $20, $30 cheaper to get on the Group Pledge, and it's Deep Rock Galactic. I've played 400 hours now into that game. I'm playing it more at the moment because of the Season 2 stuff and all the new weapons that I want to collect and try out, but I still love that game. Of course, I'm going to buy the board game of it. I mean, that's an indulge. That that is a self-indulgent purchase. I know that for a fact. But other ones I've done. I mean, I did that. Uh, what was it called? Uh, Life or Earth? I think it was called Earth. The tiny little card game that had all the pretty scenery on it. But that was a cheap Kickstarter. I mean, cheap Kickstarters. I'll still probably go for if they don't cost that much money. But big ones. I mean, I've got perseverance over there, right? I backed that on Kickstarter. Cost a fair amount, and I've played it. And I do like it overall, but I'm having Kickstarter regrets about buying it. And I feel like I didn't need to get the deluxe version. I mean, yes, you know, it's all great to have dinosaur miniatures, but it's not like the standees suck. You know, it could have saved me a lot of money and then, I don't know. I need to start practicing what I preach with some of these uh, decisions. But, yeah, I think Kickstarter's going to have to change. Will it change? I don't know. But I hope it does. I think publishers need to try different ways of doing their projects. Maybe stop using Kickstarter if they don't need it. Because honestly, a bunch of these big publishers do not need to use Kickstarter as a platform. You know how popular your game's going to be. Uh, but you, you know, indie publishers use it fine. People are going to have to start thinking about their shipping hubs and they're going to have to be more upfront with the costs you know they can't just say oh shipping will be calculated later or something it's like no you need to know well and truly what the costs are going to be in advance because people aren't going to start wising up they're going to be less keen to hopefully less keen to splash out all this money at you you got to change your tactics and consumers you need to consider your priorities that's all i'm saying so yeah it's not gonna die I don't think it can die but I do think it could go through a radical change in the years to come and I'd be interested to see how that works so yeah just a brief little discussion on that topic I'd be interested to know your thoughts by all means let me know in the comments So yeah, 1 hour and 12 minutes, I'm going to wrap up there. Thank you so much for listening everybody. Remember, by all means, check out the description for the code and referral link for kiendr.co.uk if you want to save yourself some money on your first purchase of games, as well as, you know, help the channel by getting me more review copies and stuff to put out content for. Let me know your thoughts on the live review idea. Could this work? Would you watch it? or would Even if you watched it after the fact, you don't have to come watch it live, but would you watch a StreamYard review where I in Interact with some chat and ask questions about a game I'm reviewing. Let me know your thoughts. I'd be interested to know. Um, uh, What else is there? Uh, By all means, check out some of the other videos on the channel. Uh, Be patient. You know, more collaborations will happen. But if you're a small creator or if you want to do a collaboration video at some point in May, then my diary is relatively free on coming weekends. So, by all means, get in touch. I would certainly like to get another collaboration top 10 done at some point. Um... Which reminds me, I need to think of some top 10 topics. I should uh, really ask the Patreons for some uh, help on that. But yeah, so there's more to come. Uh, By all means, uh, get in touch. Let me know your thoughts. So thanks for listening. Uh, I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple episode. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Bye for now and love you all.